Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. Uh, today, I'm thrilled to introduce everyone to Sarah Hunter. Sarah, thank you for joining. My pleasure. Nice to uh, be able to chat with you. So I'm going to quickly touch on a little bit of your bio so people uh, who haven't come across you before know who you are. So Sarah was appointed Managing Director of Officeworks in January 2019. Prior to joining Officeworks, Sarah held a number of senior roles across the Coles Group, including Financial Controller and State General Manager of Victoria. Before that, Sarah worked in the UK for more than 10 years, working across banking and airports. Um, and had the role of Strategy and Finance Director for Gatwick Airport from 2004 to 2006. Sarah, I can't wait to get in and ask, but you're a two CEO family. Yep. And you've got three pretty young kids. So thank you again for joining us. I'm going to hand straight over to you and say for people, you know, who haven't come across you before, tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about yourself and, and why you are who you are. Yeah, um, uh, I always hate it when my bio is read out. It makes me sound far more impressive than I, than I actually think I am. I um, left a lot out too, Sarah. So Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, look, uh, I have, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story as I told the uh, West Farmers Board when I first met them and I had my first fireside chat with them, which is that I'm very proud of my number one job, which is a mum to, at that stage, it was two kids because I'm the first managing director I think of West Farmers to go on parental leave and, and have a child um, but yeah two children at that stage and now three so uh, a 10 year old a three year old and uh, near well kind of 20 month old uh, the littlest um, she's uh, she's an absolute delight um, and also you know as part of my number one job I'm a partner and a wife uh, I have an amazing husband who also has a fabulous career so we have to find a way to juggle that and um and also somewhere in amongst all of that I try and be a good big sister um a good daughter and um and a good friend so you know number one job is always about you know the most important things in my life which is my friends and my family mm. uh and then my number two job is my office works family and I um genuinely mean that I always talk about our business being a family um, we're, or, or a, or a um, 26, 27-year-old, um, which is how old Officeworks is. It does feel like sometimes we're in our mid-20s trying to grow up. Um, and I have been fortunate enough in my career to work across, as you mentioned, Melissa, a bunch of different sectors. Uh, I've made those choices to have a breadth of career. I really believe in a breadth of career. Um, and I've, you know, I've worked not just in lots of different sectors, but actually across lots of different parts of commercial organisations. I studied commerce uh, in Queensland. I grew up in Adelaide. Um, uh, I um, have worked in project management. I later in life did a master's in accounting. 
Um, you know, so I've done lots of different things and I think that's probably one of the things I most value uh, in my career has been the opportunity to get that breadth and to take risk and enjoy and embrace the journey. So um, that's a bit about me. And of course, I loved my time in the UK. Uh, I, I feel I have a British passport now. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, my husband's English um, and, uh, and, and that is still a very big part of my, my life and, and who I am. Um, and yeah, I've been fortunate to, to live in different places and work in different places and kind of what's made me who I am now. So even if I go back um, further than that, mm -hmm. did you always have a sense of, you know, where you were going to head, what direction you were going to go in? Were you, did you always take risks when you were younger? Um, um, I, it's interesting. So both of my parents worked um, very successfully, uh, you know, so I always had a role model of a working, two-parent working family. And I think that always meant that I had a degree of, um, and I've always been ever since I was little, very independent and pretty resilient as an individual. I think that's just who I am. Um, and I've always been glass half full. You know, if you asked my dad, he would say, I'm, I'm an optimist. Uh, and I, and that's just part of who I am, which means that when I assess risk, I always see the opportunity often first. And even if I see the downside, I need to put people around me who help me understand there is a downside as well. Otherwise I'll leap first and think second. Uh, you get a bit better with that over time, but yeah, it, it is just, it's kind of it's always been who I am so whether I did I think I would ever do this type of job you know not necessarily but if you looked back at um, I was fortunate enough when I was trying to do year 10 and my parents sent me to do something that was pretty unheard of at the time which was to do one of these psychometric tests on what types of things you should study and what interests you um, and so I did all these, these kind of, you know, a couple of hours of all these tests. And if I look back and I read, it, read that now, the career choice was totally different, mm. but the values and who I am is still the same. Have you still, so it, what's that? Have you still got it? Of course I do. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. One of the advantages of lockdowns is you get to clear out the garage. So it's amazing you what you find when you clear out the garage. <laughs> So you've rediscovered it recently and, and it was all there laid out for you in one shape or another. Yeah, look, I think the themes were not, not the path. The path never is. The journey never is how you get there. But, you know, I, I'm still who I am when I was in grade 10. You know, fundamentally, my values are what they are. You learn better skills. You learn how to execute better. You learn how to influence better along the way. But I'm still the same person I was then when I was a teenager, really. So... I love the, the um, part you said about a breadth of career yeah. um, because I think the more conversations I have, um, the more obvious it seems to be coming out that, um, you know, the broader your career and the broader experiences that you can kind of bring, I guess the more confident and easy it is for you to take those, those you know, what might look like big leaps. So. Um, was that just, you know, did you pursue the breadth from a place of like curiosity or had someone said to you, you should do that? Like, where's that kind of come from? I think, I think innately it's because 
um, I'm curious, I like to learn and I get bored easily. Yes. And yeah. I'm, I'm not a good person when I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> I break things to fix them. So that's not a good state for me. Yeah. Um, so definitely naturally from a place of curiosity. But I also think, you know, as with most people, it's a reflection of your parents' experience or, your pe- or the people in your life who are your role models or that you learn from, particularly at an early age. And I know um, certainly my father chose a very traditional career path and I certainly know watching him in his later years, you know, over once he was past kind of 40, he really at times felt trapped into that path because he didn't have the breadth of experience. Mm. And I think um, he really found that later in life, in his 50s and in his 60s. And um, the level of satisfaction he's had from doing different things at that stage in his life is materially noticeably different. Um, you know, and it's kept him young, it's kept him um, enjoying things and contributing so much more to society, actually, um, and to, you know, young people looking at doing things. I mean, he's still my sounding board today. So um, I think that has played a really big role in me being curious and not afraid of following a traditional career path. Now, I know from our conversation before that you, um, and obviously your dad's been a huge influence as well, but that you've got some very strong female role models um, behind you. I'd love you to share that. And then I want to turn our mind to what strong female role models you've had in your career. Yeah, so um, so I am really fortunate that on my mum's side of the family, um, I'm very proud of it. I get quite emotional that my... Um, go right back, my great-great-great-grandmother was a suffragette. So she was one of the two women who got uh, women the vote in South Australia. But she was... What's her name, Sarah? uh, Lady Mary Colton. Gorgeous. We need to... Uh, Yeah. So I get quite emotional about it. I just... um, And the part for me that is so amazing about her... Sorry. Her journey is that... It was a pure partnership with her husband, who was one of the first premiers of South Australia and first governors of South Australia and was a very influential politician. And they, as a team, led led such a change for women. And it came from a genuine place of partnership. So, you know, Lady Lady Colton, she, um, she founded the YWCA for women. She... uh, Uh, raised the money for the first women's and children's hospital she was a huge influencer in women's rights and equality and also um, helping women uh, get the right health care through childbirth because in those days it was just it was so more risky than it is today uh, and the health care just wasn't available so but she did that with the support of her husband Mm -hmm. and um, you know I know I was saying uh I, I also watched the Annabelle Crabb series and um, I, I found it amazing. It was amazing reflection being an Adelaide girl to watch how many influential women in politics and in power have come from South Australia. And I think culturally so much of that comes from those first suffragettes who really led the charge and mm-hmm. 
there's something really special and cultural about that that I just didn't understand. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very proud of it. I've never reflected on this, Sarah, but it could be an appropriate time to let you know I was born in Adelaide. So I lived there for the first time. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. Big shout out to anyone from South Australia watching. Um, so, and then your your mum as well has always yeah. been an incredible role model to you. Yeah, so obviously a line of strong women and uh, mum was one of the first women in South Australia to get a Master's of Law degree, uh, one of the first women to go to the bar uh, and, you know, really was uh, in, the, in the age when um, it just wasn't expected that you go to work once you have children. In fact, actually, you know, if you were in a law firm, you were told once you took time off to have a child, you had to go back to the beginning again and none of your experience counted for anything. And all the money you earned paid for childcare. In fact, you were probably out of pocket at the end of the week or end of the month. So, you know, a huge, a huge um, influence for me in, uh, in who I am. Um, but, you know, as you get a bit older, you reflect on where it come from. And I think it's pretty um, entrenched in that line of the family. You know, I, somewhere in the genetics, uh, there's a pretty... Um, there's a pretty strong suffragette view of the world, I think. So we need to watch this space, Sarah, because I think you're just getting started. Uh, and and let me just assure everyone, politics is not on the agenda. I wasn't <laughs> like, going to ask that. <laughs> the, yeah, no, no. Uh, there's so many other ways to contribute. So, um, so I just want to springboard from that then to... You know, there's so many um, kind of things I'm curious about that kind of sparked this series in the first place. And just one question that I feel like I have to jump in and ask straight away is, you know, when we look at the stats of female leaders in key executive positions within Australia, we haven't seen a lot of movement in it. And when I look at the ASX 200, um, I think over the last couple of years, there's been 50 CEO appointments and three of those have been females. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw right out there for you. You and I have, I've been a CEO, you are a CEO. Why are there, why are there not more female CEOs? Well, look, I think, I think for me, there's probably three reasons. Um, one is structural. So I think the CEO is appointed by the chair and by the board. And if there isn't strong enough leadership, female leadership at that level, um, often like appoints like, and so therefore that's what happens. Mm. So I think it's good news whilst we're not making progress at CEO and operational leadership roles, we are making progress at the board level. And whilst I'm not a massive fan of quotas, I think I remember having a, a really honest conversation with Richard Goiter um, many, many years ago when he introduced um, targets into STIs across the West Farmers Group around gender balance or um, female participation at senior leader roles. Yeah. Um, I asked him why. And he said to me, you know, I said, for me, it just makes sense, right? It's just running a good business that reflects the community and our customer base. Mm. What, why do we have to have an STI target? And he said, because unfortunately, Sarah, not everyone sees it the way you do. And so um, I think really pleasingly, you know, people like Richard have, have led the way and a lot of other senior leaders in Australia. And we're now starting to see progress at the board level. So I think that's good news. 
yep. but we're not there yet because yep. we're not at gender balance in board representation, certainly not all the way through the ASX and certainly not in private companies either. So I think for me, that's, that's one. Mm. I think the second issue is um, the traditional career path for CEO, particularly in Australia, and I see this as, an, as a challenge for Australia, is that we have been very traditional in how we've looked at career pathing. Um, and so often it's come from COO or CFO yes. uh, that um, CEO talent is identified. So unless you've done a job like I'm doing today, if you've run, if you've been chief customer officer of a business or chief marketing officer of a business, are you considered CEO potential mm. or chief HR officer? Interestingly, you know, I have a really different philosophy, obviously, because I believe in breadth of experience. I also believe that most businesses are people businesses. That's right. So it isn't always about the numbers. And I can say that as an accountant. In fact, I don't always think CFOs make good CEOs. Mm. I think you have to understand people and really be able to lead and customer. <clears throat> so I think for me, that's a, a challenge for Australia. And I still see it now. It would be fascinating. I don't know the stats to see how many CEOs were appointed from traditional roles or from CFO roles. Mm. Um, and lastly, I think then if that's the reality and we can't change the mindset around breadth of experience and what makes a great leader, um, I'm still not giving up on that, by the way, obviously. Yep. I'm doing yep. this podcast. Uh, but if you've got to play by the rules of the establishment, then what we have to see is more women in operational line roles, yep. PL roles. And that's hard again, because often it's the male CEO who's appointing. And, um, and to be honest, often the infrastructure of a company doesn't support women to find any kind of balance in doing a role like that mm. and their number often their number one job right which doesn't necessarily have to be young children and a family yep. but for a lot of people is the case mm. um, or they have different priorities and I think for me just that those hygiene factors still aren't in place and so and it's even more amplified through COVID I was having this conversation with someone yesterday that I have a massive fear about, and I'm seeing it already, um, people not coping with what's happened in the last 18 months, yeah. nearly two years, and opting out of the workforce because, or opting to stay stationary mm. because they just cannot cope with the prospect of anything more. Mm. So I, I park, park losing jobs you know and we know at the first stage of COVID that was a real issue with childcare and um, service industries and industries that really are often female dominated but you know in I, I am now having team members in my business come to me that with all of the support in place they, they just it's enough yeah yeah they're done yeah too much too much yeah. and so I, I think Whilst I don't love quotas and I don't love, you know, the force structure, I think we have to think differently about how we come out of this stage mm. for Australia to be productive 
particularly if there isn't um, the international borders aren't open, there's a whole level of productivity that can be generated by women participating in the workforce. DEW has done so much research around it. We have to be creative leaders around how we make that happen. Otherwise, we won't economically come out the other side of this in good shape. We just won't. Um, and we have to find ways to make flexibility work. So um, that that's, yeah, I, I think there's a lot that's structural and then there's a lot that's in the here and now. I want to um, switch to or stay on that theme of strong female role models, mm. but tie it into... Um, when you took this CEO role that you're in, was there any hesitancy about taking the role on? What what kind of went through your mind at the time? Um, you mean, and still does. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, I think I think for probably five years before I took the role. I was asking myself the question whether I was it was it worth it. Did I want to do it? Um, actually, interestingly, not could I do it? Like I, I knew I would find a way to do it, my, you know, my way, uh, and I trusted my judgment. But, but the question for me was, was it worth it? Because I don't get out of bed for a paycheck. Um, for me, it's can I make a positive difference? Can I be an amazing mum? Can I be a great wife? What's important for me isn't, you know, I'm fortunate as well financially, but I don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. So for me, and I'd be really happy in a smaller house and, you know, I don't have fancy stuff, you know. It's not what makes me who I am. So I guess for me it was a question around do I really want it and is, and is the sacrifice real or how do I make it work? Um, and... Can I make it work? And and I think it's fair to say I still, like, given what we've been through in the last two years, I still ask myself that question. Yep. I would still candidly say to my, my boss, you know, probably once a month I sit here, I've had a really bad day, and I think I just i am not sure. Like, this is hard, right? So I just I think it's just the reality of, being honest with yourself and knowing that everyone's got competing priorities, like people want different things and it's not all about work. And I love your honesty about that because, you know, so many people have the perspective of, you know, a CEO, particularly a CEO in an enormous organisation that you're leading um, has all the answers and, you know, is, you know, got it all kind of, you know, absolutely sort of nailed every single day. And I think, only when you've been in those roles do you understand that, no, actually, still exactly the same person, still got all those questions, um, probably need to find a good support network around you to... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, my husband is my... My husband and my dad are my biggest cheer squad, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just them. My friends are as well. You know, they're always there. But, you know, then you've got to learn not to sweat the small stuff. And, you know, I laughed as... I said to one of my friends the other day who was is in Sydney going through the lockdown and it's the first, you know, they're six weeks in and they're, they're really fatigued and really scared. And I was talking to her and she, she said, how do you do it? And I said, look, I just learned you had to set the bar really low. 
mm-hmm. and manage your own expectations. And if everyone was alive and well at the end of the day, it was a good day. Yeah. And, that, and that's okay. And everything else, you know, health, your health and well-being is the most important thing. It reminded me when you said that, you know, there was a group of friends sending messages around the other day and it was all about, you know, who they'd ordered a food delivery from and which yeah. kid, my kids are slightly older than yours, they're teenagers, you know, which kid was preparing which meal and all that sort of stuff. And I sent a note back and said, look at our place, it's descended into a feral free-for-all. So if you're capable of getting food, get food. Exactly. My dad used to say, you've got two arms and two legs and you know how to use them. That's right. Exactly. Get on with it. Because yeah, I think exactly. I got to the point where there was no more coming out of, out of this kitchen. So no empathy. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about, um, you know, role models. So who did, you, who did you look to that were in CEO roles and think... That's a, that's a pretty good looking sort of CEO in the sense of what they're delivering and everything like that. Oh, look, I think um, I think I think it's important to learn from the good and the bad. Yeah. I, I don't think you I don't think you can really learn. And we're always learning. We continue to learn. I think as leaders, I think that's really, really important. But I don't, I don't think you learn just by the good. I think you have to be able to recognise when it's not good mm. and how you set your stall out a little bit around that that's just not who I'm going to be and be confident about that. So I've, I've worked with lots and lots of different people um, across lots of different sectors, as I said before. Um, And, you know, I've been, sometimes you have the luxury of choosing, you know, when you're more senior, you can, and more financially secure, you can make choices around who you work for. Mm. When you're more junior, you can't. So you have to learn to kind of be able to, recognize the poor leaders and then know it's a learning experience and take take from that um, the learnings. So, and obviously, you know, I'm fortunate enough now that I am senior and I can make deliberate choices around where I spend my time. Mm. And I choose to spend my time at West Farmers and I choose to spend my time working with Rob and um, for him and for the board because, that suit that fits with my values. I I love the long term um, balance of shareholder returns and the perspective that they're driving. And um, I regularly say to myself, I have the best job in the world because you know, in the conglomerate structure we operate in, I get to run my business. Mm-hmm. And so many of the governance and you know challenging things that come with being a listed entity are actually managed by the team in Perth and by Rob. Um, so I think it's the best of both worlds. But working with Rob was a conscious choice. Mm. Um, and what, what were the skills you were really looking for, or you know, what were the values you were looking for in a leader when you chose that? Oh, humility, mm. um, honesty, integrity. Smarts, of course. He's a very, very smart man. Um, he's a team player. You know, you don't get a, an Olympic medal without being a team player, right? And he understands what great teams look like uh, and how to lead them. And uh, he's he's 
quite an extraordinary leader. So, you know, I feel fortunate to be able to learn from him. Um, and, you know, equally, I've had great people who've taught me along the way, not just about leadership, but actually skills development. You know, when I joined Coles, I knew nothing about retail, really. Mm. And, you know, working with the likes of John Durkin, you know, and Archie Norman, you know, uh, and Ian McLeod, I learned a huge amount about retail. I was very fortunate to, to learn um, from some of the best retailers in the world. So I really think it's, it's knowing what you're taking from a situation and seeing the good, seeing the bad. Um, and it's all input into the choices then you make about your style and your leadership and what you're prepared to condone, uh, what you're prepared to walk past and what you're not prepared to walk past. So Sarah, I know from our previous conversations that you've often been the youngest and the only female in the room. And I wanted to ask whether you ever had to find your voice in that situation. I use that term specifically because as an executive mentor, it's interesting how often I'll receive a brief with females that talks about they need help finding their voice. And I've never seen that language used um, in one for a male, but I'm just gonna open that up to you. Yeah, look, I think um, I think part of the problem's in the question, obviously, which is what you were alluding to. I think I've seen plenty of women in a room as the, you know, more, more senior, more experienced from than, than me, particularly at an earlier stage in my career, who certainly had a voice in the room. And the way that they found it was by mimicking the men. Yes. And that's what they had to do to be heard. Um, And, you know, again, I kind of, I think, I think the art is is in choosing an environment where you're either comfortable with that. Like if you're a lone voice, you have to recognize that you're gonna have to deploy different influencing techniques to if you're in a voice that has, in a, in a room that has gender balance. Mm. It's clearly a different environment when there are four or five women in the room or there are people in the room who don't look at the situation. They don't see you in a different light and they don't disregard your influencing skills and kind of pat you on the head and say that's because you're a woman, right, and you're just emotional. Well, yeah. everyone is emotional if you're in an environment that's comfortable and safe enough Mm. men have emotions too right so um so I'm the only female managing director albeit shortly to be joined by Nicole Sheffield around the West Farmers leadership table as an MD but I'm not the only female in the room but at no point when I've been in those conversations with the other MDs have I ever felt like I couldn't have a voice because at no point am I belittled or marginalised or kind of patted on the head. My voice is as important and my opinion is as important, regardless of the size of business I run, the gender I am, how I identify myself, how many children I have. I'm an equal at the table. Mm. Um, So I think part of the challenge is picking the right organisation and the right room to be in. Um, and I've learned how to do that in my career. But then also at points in your career, you can't choose. 
So you have to work on your influencing style to know how to be heard, particularly in a highly male-dominated environment. Any suggestions for people? Um, I think um, it's often a lot harder work. You have to be really, you have to know that shouting from the rafters and, and just adopting an ego-driven approach doesn't often get you there, right? You've got to do a lot of work behind closed doors. Um, and, you know, again, I, I have heard plenty of senior women in all sorts of um, careers and, and backgrounds say you have to make sure that people, other people think it's their idea, even if it's your idea, and not be um, hell-bent on getting credit for it, to be honest, but just be really focused on the fact that the outcome is what's important. Mm. Um, and I think that, that's, that, that that often, that outcome focus can often get you through really tough situations where the journey isn't very pleasant, but if you just focus on the fact that the most important thing is that there's paid parental leave in the organisation you work for or that, that the team members are valued and that there's the right reward and recognition or uh, on the table, whatever it is, or the right sustainability credentials, you know, um, or to be honest, the right prioritisation of commercial decisions, yeah. whatever it is that you're faced with where you're having to navigate a room that is very biased to one view or another, like because it's not diverse and that diversity is far broader than, than gender. Um, I think it just, it's a harder, it's a harder journey, right? But it doesn't mean that the harder journey isn't worth it um, if you focus on the outcome. So I have no doubt the suffragettes found it a pretty hard journey, even with lots of male support, but the outcome was worth it. Yeah. Um, I want to quickly just turn my head to Officeworks briefly and the culture. What, mm. what deliberate changes are you or have you kind of made from a cultural perspective? Are there any that you'd call out? Um, yeah, so I think there are obvious things that are symbols, right, along the way that people notice and people would recognise and change uh, or recognise as change, I should say. And then there's all the subtlety that comes with culture, which is about the things you walk past or choose not to walk past in terms of behaviours and the choices you make around how transparent and honest you are and authentic you are. Um, so there'd be a couple of symbols that those who've been on the Officeworks journey with me would know about. So the first, the first comms I did um, my very first day to the team was about our back to school appeal with the Smith family. Um, so that was a really big thing for me because I really passionately believe in the role we need to play in helping educate Australians and that we can we can play a really, Officeworks a really important role in facilitating that Learning for Life program. And we sponsor so many, so many thousands of students now yep. um, who don't get access to education because of our generous customers and because of the contribution we also make. So that was a big cultural statement. Mm. The second one was on my first day, I actually spent my first five hours walking around, introducing myself to everyone. Yep. Didn't sit in an office. I didn't, um, 
I didn't sit behind my computer for my first day at all mm. and then got out and saw stores and got out to the CFCs and got out to the business and listened and wanted to hear from the team. So I think for me, that was another really big cultural statement. Mm. And then the first policy I launched was our growing families policy. So that was moving from two weeks um, maternity leave or one month, matern- I, think, I think it was two weeks maternity leave. It was so horrific, I cried nearly. Uh, and no, no, um, no, no broader parental leave um, to 12 weeks um, paid primary carers leave, uh, two weeks paid secondary carers leave, IVS and surrogacy support, um, uh, and paid superannuation for up to 52 weeks, even if you're unpaid. So I will not work and lead an organisation that has a huge impact on gender, the gender pay gap, that, 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 you know, I walk around the shop floor in a retail business and in so many retail businesses across Australia, you talk to women in their 40s and 50s and they will tell you they're proud to work for the organisation they do. And often you'll see badges, right? At Coles, we used to have number of years served mm-hmm. and at Officeworks, we do. We go in five-year increments. And I'd say to people, say to the team, how long have you worked for Officeworks? And they'd say, oh, I've worked for Officeworks for 15 years. See, I've got this 15-year badge. But actually, I've worked for Officeworks for 17 years, but I had two children. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're part of the family, even when you have children. Mm. Um, And I think that made a statement to the business. They were like, okay, hang on a second. Uh, And then it's how you back it up with your actions, right? So, you know, that and super, super, super was a big one for us because I had team members who were the primary breadwinner in their family, senior, like store managers, who were leaving it far too late to go on parental leave, putting their health at risk, not enjoying the process of bonding with their child and the mental health impact of that and rushing back to work because Mm. they were, and it was so unhealthy. Mm. And actually, if you look at the statistics as well, um, for secondary carers leave, one of the biggest drivers of safety accidents in the workplace is fatigue. And you can correlate it directly to people who've had children who are at home with disturbed sleep. Yes. So at at that stage of life. So there's there's also a business case for it as well. but, you know, it, whether it be in the health and well-being of your team, not just in retention, you know, which is often where people go to. So, and then it's all the other things culturally, right? The stuff that you just don't tolerate, the bullies go, the people who don't represent your values leave. Um, uh, you don't tolerate some of the stuff maybe that others did once upon a time. Yeah. And just facing into and being honest with the team about, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and not brushing it under the carpet. Sarah, what do you do? They're all incredible changes and I love hearing about those. I just wanted to ask you, um, why do you think you've achieved the success that you have? Probably because I don't think of it as success. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it as just making a positive difference. 
And on the days when uh, you've got that uh, voice that pops up inside everyone's head, mm-hmm. and it, it tells us all sorts of different things from times, it's incredibly useful. Um, but when you have that voice of doubt, how do you get past that? Look, I think, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I don't think that voice ever goes away, right? It's just if you're a driven person and you're a curious person and, and I think it's the same for men and for women, actually. I just think, you know, A-type personalities, I don't know, like we're just, we're critical of ourselves. We often see opportunities to improve rather than what we've celebrated or done well. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a few kind of techniques I've learned over time to manage it. I think one that's really, really important is, and I think it's a real skill, the more senior you get, you have to learn how to not, not sit with that voice in your head for too long. Mm-hmm. So it's acknowledge it, know it's there, know it's there to for a purpose, right? So it's part of what drives you. It's part of what makes you curious it's part of what makes you a great leader because it it drives you to learn or to be honest and authentic about what you got right and what you got wrong and stuff um but what you've got to learn not to do is feed it Mm. so some things that I have found certainly in the last couple of years that feed the beast if I call it that social media right it's a disaster um, whether it be young kids, whether it be corporate leaders, right? Um, in the old days, it just used to be you are only visible when it was results day and you opened the AFR and there was a picture and it was good or it was bad. It's a bit like, you know, it was your cr- critique for the year and you take it or leave it and then it's chip wrapper the next day. And you knew what was coming, right? Because you and knew, you knew what was coming. And it, it's a very, it was a far more orchestrated, less free-for-all kind of situation. Mm. And now with social media, this isn't something that as corporate leaders we signed up to. You know, we're not actors and actresses. We're not, um, you know, influencers. Mm. But actually part of our role has to be that. So what I've learned for me certainly is um, I'm really careful about what I read and what I don't read and when I do it. And I invested pretty heavily early on in building a corporate affairs team and an internal comms team. We didn't have one. We outsourced it. Mm -hmm. And really getting professionals on board to help filter a lot of that stuff so that I'm clear about why I'm doing it. And if I'm putting myself out there, I'm clear that for me, it's about our employment proposition. I am visible because I want the best talent in Australia to come and work at Officeworks. Mm. And the other reason why I'm visible is because if people can learn from what I'm doing and, you know, genuinely make a better positive difference, that's why I do this podcast, for example, then I'll do it. But I'm not there for marketing purposes I'm not there as the brand of office works and I think it's really easy to lose control of that in this current environment and um, lose perspective so I think that's really important I think the other thing that um I think the other thing that's really important is having a cheer squad yeah who have perspective because particularly in a role like this where you're at the top of the tree, 
yeah and that makes it in Australia particularly right you know that tall poppy thing it does exist yep um and so just getting comfortable with the fact that not everyone is going to be your friend not everyone like I used to laugh I said to my team the worst part of the worst part of doing a job like this is if you have to choose Christmas gifts or some kind of reward and recognition no one's you net like guarantee no one is 100% happy with that choice right the second one is if you have to change uniforms in our world always a disaster and the third like there's four things you never really want to do as a CEO the fourth one is move office yes (laughs) sorry the third one is move office yep someone's disappointed and the fourth one is implement an ERP system (laughs) so I I kind of because that's thankless right because so but but to be frank probably by the time I finish it off works I will have done all four of those I was going to say what how many are we up to yeah heading towards three okay and and I'm holding off on the ERP yeah now is not the time anyway but I do I do think if you put it in perspective and recognise it's about the majority, not the minority, it's about um, focusing on the good, not not always reading the bad, and you have to read the smiley faces. You have to read the smiley faces in your engagement feedback. Read them, you know. Yes. Uh, read them on the bad days and remember that the outcome that you're getting to is the right outcome. Don't just read all the negative stuff. It, it, there's a time and a place for it yeah but some days it's just not the day because all you're doing is feeding the beast I love that that's brilliant advice so everyone look out for the smiley faces and keep the keep the big picture in mind Sarah the last question I ask everybody is from your perspective what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change oh look I think brave feminine leadership looks different for everyone if you're authentic to who you are so I would never um, criticize others or pass comment on others um, around their leadership style and what suits them and how they're going to make a a positive impact I think brave feminine leadership is just being it starts with being authentically yourself and being honest about it um, and being true to who you are but I actually think that's just brave leadership. I don't think the feminine really has anything you yeah. know, to do with it in that context. And I think the more that we have leaders who choose to lead people rather than companies yes. or countries, um, you know, the better quality decisions we'll make, whether it's companies or countries. And I really, I do think ultimately, you know, we're a people business. So for me, um, I think that's the heart of it, you know. And then it's also about just being authentically, as I said, being authentically you and being honest about instead of living an Instagram life, just recognise there are good days and bad days. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female or, you know, you don't identify as either of those. It doesn't matter your... um, ethnic background it doesn't matter what country you live in you know your socioeconomic status everyone has good days and bad days mm-hmm. um and you know we just it's about building our resilience and our skills around that and then 
Um, I read a great card the other day, which I posted to my best friend. It's about less crappy and more happy. <laughs> Sounds like exactly what we all need right now, less crappy and more happy. Yeah. So uh, you've been so incredibly generous with your time and I want to thank you for that. And um, I just want to circle back and say, um, you know, how touching how touching it was, that connection with your, I don't know if I'll get all the greats right, but great, great, great <laughs> grandmother, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what a beautiful story. And, um, you know, I can just, I didn't even cover how many employees you've got at OfficeWorks. How many employees have you got there? Eight and a half thousand. Yeah, I knew it was a big number. So I was going to go nine, but you know, that's, it's an enormous team of people that you're having the, you know, ability to have an impact on, um, and customers, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge stationary fan. So I'll be one of them wandering around the store, um, as well. So congratulations on everything you've achieved so far. And importantly, um, just for, for making the time and the space to still have conversations like this, um, really appreciate it, your openness and vulnerability with us today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I hope at least a little of what I shared is useful um, for some or a few. And, uh, and look, I um, always welcome feedback. And I say this at the every, every time I do one of these um, one of these sessions. So, uh, you know, customer feedback, we're not just a, a, a people business, customers are at the heart of our decision making. So reach out. Uh, if you've got any feedback, please let me know. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'd love to hear from you. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.